0: Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, and this week, quite a packed show with looking back at the Australia-India One Day Internationals, a little bit about England in the West Indies. We've got, after the break, an interview with the new Lords groundsman, Carl McDermott, who has some interesting things to say, actually, about things like weather changing, weather patterns and stuff, and the pressures on... On groundsmen. And how grumpy groundsmen are as well. Well, some of them are shockers, actually. (laughs) Not him, though, I have to say, basically. Uh, Also, uh, a little bit of a reference to the new Cricketer magazine and a new column we've got from Andrew Sampson, the the wizard on TMS. He's come up with some interesting stats. Uh, First, after your daughter's riddle last week, we've had a riddle this week from Danny McGee, and he says, well, the only cricketing riddle that I know is which number batsman is left not out if every batsman gets out first ball? And I don't answer it now. Have a little think Not about sure it. I can. I need to think about it's it. Quite a, it's <laughs> quite a tricky one. So which batsman is left not out if every batsman is out first ball at the start of an innings? Right, just have a little thinker, ponder on that one, and we'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, but Australia-India... I've just been covering that second one-day international mm. uh, for BT, and it was a one-all situation now. So the final game is at the weekend at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. I thought it was quite interesting, actually. Uh, I mean, it was a great game. It was it was well contested. But I think there's some flaws in both teams that England can exploit. In a way, I felt actually... When you say
1: England can exploit,
0: you mean for the World Cup? yeah. I think uh, that, the, in a way, the game made England's chances of winning the World Cup better for me, for for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Australia seem to have this sense that they don't want to pick their leg spinner for some reason. They keep picking Nathan Lyon and, and Glenn Maxwell. And I can't believe they're still going with two old-fashioned, old-school off-spinners in one day internationals and nobody to bowl wrist spin or mystery spin of any kind. I don't think you can totally judge Australia's other bowlers at the moment because... They aren't playing the likes of Mitchell Stark and Hazelwood and Pat Cummins and so on. They're playing their sort of second line of uh, seam bowlers. So it's probably a bit unfair to make too much of a judgment on their faster bowlers. But I can't believe they're not playing the the spinners uh, like Adam Zampa, for instance. And with, with that reference in mind, I will just mention Andrew Sampson's column in the new Cricketer magazine out on Friday. One of the things he says in his new column, Stats Life, is that Nathan Lyon has become the first test spinner, or the first test bowler, actually, to be hit for 200 sixes. He's overtaken Murali. And uh, it's quite a, a difficult one to work out, he says, because, actually, if you go back in stats, you get batsman sixes and fours, mostly, until about the, sort of, from about the 1970s of 1980s. You get most of the batsmen's sixes and fours in innings or in a career, etc. But you don't necessarily find out who's which bowlers were hit for sixes and fours because they didn't do ball by ball coverage online until more recently. So you had to go through old scorebooks and things like that to figure out how many sixes bowlers of the sort of ilk of Morley conceded. But Morley, I think, was on 198. It's been estimated. 194 to 198 sixes Marilly, and ninety eight six is against Murley, And Nathan Lyon's just gone so past
1: 200. So it's impossible to actually well, nail I think, down. I
0: think he has been through, and knowing Andrew, as yeah, we do, yeah. he's been through the, the books very carefully and established that there's a range. Murali's either 194 or 198, and that's the sort of low and high of it. Yeah. He's not 200. Yeah. Nathan Lyon's gone past 200. This is in Test cricket. And he he also says that there have been... Uh, seven sixes hit per test in the 21st century, roughly double the rate of the preceding 40 years. Yeah. So definitely more power, shorter boundaries, more uh, ambition
1: for the batsmen. I mean, in a way, those stats are, are no surprise, are they? Nathan Lyon is, is bowling a lot of overs. Batsmen are more attacking. They're, they're taking that that white ball cricket into into Test match cricket, and it's inevitable that the, the off break bowler is going to be.
0: Hit for six more often, I think. And actually, uh, the, the, the off spinner generally, I think as ever since Shane Warne got involved in T20 in the beginnings of the IPL, really, off spinners started to get marginalised in one day cricket because they just felt they were too easy to hit mm. for the right handers. And orthodox spinners, they'd come back in Test cricket, but I think in one day cricket, unless you've got ball which sort of does something a bit different, it's hard to sustain a long-term career. I mean, there are people like Jadeja, I suppose, who bowls orthodox left arm, but he sort of fires them in, he bats as well. So those orthodox spinners... James Treadwell survived for a little while for England, but those orthodox off-spinners, I just think, are not going to win a World Cup. Going on to India and how England can take encouragement from the Indian performance, Dhoni. Now, I've looked at his stats over the last two years. His strike rate is 67 mm. And it went up a little bit today. He got a very a good 50, but it was a scratchy 50 to start with. He struggled. I thought he struggled enough to force Coley to play more aggressively, and he then got out. And Dhoni, in the end, did finish the game. And I'm getting torrents of abuse on Twitter for <laughs> suggesting that the hero of so many run chases, that the king of finishers, Dhoni, should be marginalised by the Indians. But I do believe it. And if you look at the strike rates of other people batting five and six... Uh, around the world in one day internationals you know the likes of Glenn maxwell joss butler david miller people like that their their strike rates are 120 115 something like that donny is is his strike rate is 67 in the last 12 months and that means to for those who are not that sort of stats savvy he would score about 210. If he batted the whole of an innings yeah. in a 50 over game he'd score 210. Well that's not going to win many games. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not surprised you've got lots of comment on Twitter. I saw actually a, a tweet from Mel Farrell.
1: She, she asked a similar question. She posed a question about you know Dhoni's future in the in, Indian one day squad and someone responded, did he want a quiet evening Mel? You know in, in, in yeah. we're going to get a huge amount of, of response to that. I mean I last summer at Lords I saw Dhoni play one of the most incredible one day innings. In I- about in a bad way. I just, I do not know what he was doing. I don't know what he was trying to do. It was, it was anti-cricket. It was hideous. It was absolutely hideous. It was a horrible day, a horrible afternoon for those people who paid their money to turn up at Lords. I mean, he barely played a shot in anger. I, I'm still perplexed to know what was going on. Uh, and but, he, I mean, he has played that way. He's played conservatively at the start of his innings for quite a long time now, and then he, he's trusted himself to explode, hasn't he, and, and win the game and become a finisher. And he's, and he's done it many times as well. That's that's the point, isn't it? But you know, the, the the closer you go to forty, then you know the harder it it becomes. And it was also interesting watching him he, I know it was very hot, wasn't it in Adelaide? Yeah, it was very hot. It was admittedly. extremely hot. But I've yeah. noticed, Hit Kohli and Dhoni were really struggling. I mean, All that, that running between the wickets, of course, yeah. Dhoni's keeping wicket for fifty overs as well. I mean, that is, that's a punishing day out. That is yeah. in the heat of Adelaide. Um, you know, inevitably, what is he? Thirty-seven He's now. Thirty-seven. Yeah, time mm. takes its toll on on anyone. And there's that sort of delicious, sort of tempting, teasing situation for India because they've got Rishabh Pant, mm. who is a tremendously talented young player and you know, keeps wicket as well. He's got on the test side and, you know, he's such a dasher and you, you could see him, you know, in a World Cup, vital World Cup match going out there and winning a game, you know, in the in click of a fingers in the blink of an eye. So, you know, what do they do? Is he too inexperienced? Do you stick with the experience of Donny for one more World Cup? I thought they, I am they, they, they will. they will. They will. Well, in yeah. fact,
0: what I think they might do is they might put him at number four. Because they're struggling for a number four. They've got Kohli at three. They've obviously got Rohit Sharma and Shikhar Darwin to open. Kohli yeah. Ro- at three. Amberty Ryder, batted four, he looked absolutely terrible. And then Dhoni came in at five. And I wonder whether Dhoni might play actually as a batsman. Because actually the other funny thing is, he hadn't kept wicket for two months. And apparently, Adam Gilchrist said, he saw Dhoni keeping wicket in practice today Mm. for the first time ever normally he bowls doesn't he he has a bowl with the seamers and he doesn't do any keeping practice at all but he's obviously feeling well I haven't kept for two months apart from the last one day international the other day Uh, I better do a bit of keeping practice and I think the other thing uh, about him that he is essential to the Indians for one sort of rather bizarre reason and that is captaining on the field towards the end of an innings because Coley wants all the real boundary runners, the quickest men, to patrol the boundary. Coley's one of them. Mm. So Coley's on the boundary towards the end of a one-day innings. He can't captain from long off. So actually, Dhoni, using his experience and knowledge, is sort of moving the fielders around and just sort of getting angles and things like that. So actually, in, in many ways, Dhoni is still quite important to India, even though I think his batting is in decline. One other point about his batting. Yeah, I mean, people are going to say to me, how can you drop the greatest match winner of all time? He's won 193 games for India. Well, not on his own, but he's played in 193 winning teams. And I just thought there was a six he hit. He didn't really quite get it. And compared to the sixes he's hit in the past, which sort of go onto the the roof, his sixes today just... Yeah, he didn't quite have it. I mean, yeah, he was a bit tired and he'd been rushing up and down. His speed between the wickets is still pretty good. But I don't know. I just think there's a few signs of sort of slight decline there which England might be able to play on in the World Cup.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I still think they're going to be strong in England. Yeah. They're going to have massive support, sure. aren't they? And they oh, you, yeah. They're going to roll. They'll momentum going. And you'd expect them. I'm sure, I'm sure they will. I'd be absolutely amazed if they didn't make the semifinals. And then, you know, it, it, it's on the day, isn't it? And you, you feel the same about England as well. We've said it for a long time now. England would have to have an incredibly bad World Cup not to make the semi-finals. So once you're there... Mm. It's all on it's the day, isn't it? It's, it's so, so much on the day as it yeah. was in, in the Champions Trophy. But uh, the, the thing is, with Coley in your side, he, he yeah. plays one of those you sensational to, innings, yeah. you, you've always got a chance. 39 one-day hundreds it's, it's already. yeah. And that you know that feeling. Oh, he's going to you know he's going to pass Tendulka. Um he, uh, uh, we, We've said it before that he's still what got another was it eleven? He's got another twelve to go mm. to to reach Tendulkar. And twelve mm. hundreds in one day cricket is a is a very good career for somebody.
0: You, but you, for Coley, just oh you just you think, assume he's going to get there. I don't you think too many Englishmen have made twelve? Yeah. I mean, I know Roots made eleven or twelve, and I think Triscothic might have got that, but not not many others. So you can you can be everywhere and look, look look that out for a sec, but. I so it just shows how much India still rely on Donny and and Coley because our friend Dan Weston, the, the stats yeah. man, uh, suggested today that when India win, Kohli averages eighty three and Dhoni averages seventy three. Yeah. When India lose, they both average thirty five. Yeah,
1: most one day hundreds for England: route thirteen, to Scothic twelve. And Morgan ten, Peterson nine. So you're talking, I mean, that, yeah. that puts it in, not
0: three times as many as but, any of them.
1: And it also puts it into context of what he's got to do to, you know, beat Tendulkar yeah. or, go, or go level with Tendulkar. And, and you just assume he's going to do it. Yeah. Probably by the end of the year, the way he's going. Yeah. Probably in the World Cup, on his you know, has he got enough matches in the World Cup? No, no. not not. Nine. Uh, yeah, he has.
0: Well, nine games he's got. Yeah, you
1: got nine group mate matches and a knockout and, and a, a final. final yeah, so you, yeah, you, you, get, 11, you yeah. get eleven. You get eleven. God, that would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> just I mean. on just on Nathan Lyon, you made the point about Lyon and you know why is he in the Australia team? Well, I think a couple of reasons really. One is that. Uh, they're sort of scouting around. They've been scouting around for a spinner. He's been bowling so well in Test cricket. He, he's hardly played any One Day cricket for Australia. He's only played seventeen One Day Internationals. They feel that he, you know he might go well in England. I think they, you know they're having a look at him, see whether it works. Uh, but you look at actually, what I think has been interesting watching the Big Bash over the last few weeks is that is that most teams seem to have uh, you know decent young leg spinner, or they they have a leg spinner. Some teams have two leg spinners so it's a bit like it in english cricket in the in the blast where lots of teams have leg spinners australia are developing some leg spinners as well tom o'connell played the other day for the melbourne stars he made his debut at 18 years of age fantastic yeah and he was hit for six first ball but he, but he did get a wicket his
0: first ball in the bash
1: first ball in the bash oh, was, was hit for six but i mean yeah, they're prepared to throw you know throw yeah. in a young leg spinner 18 years of age yeah so, you know, they're obviously, they're obviously looking around you for know, that sort of uh,
0: You know, the Rajasthan Royals actually picked a guy called Pravin Tambe in about the fourth year of the IPL, who was 41, had never played even <laughs> professional cricket. He'd only played in Mumbai 20 over league cricket. They plucked him out of obscurity. and He played a whole season. He he actually got them to the Champions League finals, though they didn't win it.
1: Yeah. Just before, actually, everyone writes in and emails in, and yeah, i I, got less. I I, get flooded by uh, people on Twitter. Uh, Tendulkar's fifty-one Test hundreds, forty-nine one-day hundreds. He's only actually got to get another ten to go level with Tendulkar in one-day hundreds. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Also, no, no letters for that one because he's corrected (laughs) himself just in time. now, OK, so Australia-India, uh, that's well-poised. It's been, it's been good cricket. England in the West Indies, mm. uh, about to get ready for the, the Test Series there. And what we thought we'd do, we, we'll preview the Test Series next week. Uh, there's a big feature on the tour in the Cricketer magazine this month, uh, looking ahead to it from the perspectives of two old-timers, Derek Pringle and David Gow, what it's like to tour there, and also sort of highlighting one or two of the great moments from Caribbean tours of the past – I remember the Curtly Ambrose six for ten in uh, Trinidad, bowling England out for forty six, and also uh, the great Lara three seven five. And but you can beat that.
1: I could top that. I was there for his four hundred not out. I mean, just incredible. You just knew he was going to do it. That's the most. That was the most bizarre thing about it. We you know, he had 70, 130, Just knew he was going to get there. It was a flat pitch. They were they booked in for bed and breakfast. Uh, yeah. he, he looked really determined. He'd done it before. He wanted his record back because obviously Matthew Hayden had had taken his record. And it it just felt, I mean it just seems bizarre to say that you know when he still had another two hundred nod to go. It's a bit like it's a bit like Kohli, isn't it? Yeah. With his with his ten one day hundreds that he needs to to equal Tendulkar. You just you just felt it was absolutely inevitable. Yeah. Anyway, Made that's yeah. that is the highest test score of all time. It's the hi- yeah, one of the most. Unbelievable innings you could ever witness for its just utter determination and ruthlessness and drive to get to where he wanted to to get. What we'd like to know from you is okay, that was the, the highest test score of all time. What was the best innings that, that you've ever seen? And it might not be, it might be in a one day game, it might even be in a club match. You know, you might have played in the club game and someone played an amazing innings. Write in and tell us what was the best innings you've ever seen in, in, in any. Former cricket. So it can be a test match or a one-day game, it can be a county game or an overseas game, anything. And the email address for that is... Theanalystpodcast at gmail.com Theanalystpodcast at com. So we'd love to hear from you about the best innings you've ever seen. Yeah, we'll read the, uh, the best ones out, definitely. And tell I... us why as well. Don't just say, you yeah. know... Basil or whatever, yeah. one hundred and sixty
0: or whatever, you know. Just yeah, tell us why as I well. Think one of the reasons I loved the three hundred and seventy-five Brian Lara three hundred and seventy-five actually in Antigua was the atmosphere in the ground because I always felt that old ground, the Antigua Recreation Ground, mm. was uh, it was a party, it was a carnival sort of atmosphere, Chicky's Disco. Mm. You remember that the the, the the kind of DJ kind of kept blaring out the music. There was gravy, the cross dresser standing on a kind of platform. Overlooking the the, the the ground floor, sort of on the first floor of the stand, I love the Iron Band that would kind of go round the ground playing all these metal things like hubcaps and pipes and things in syncopated rhythm. And I just thought it had it was like a carnival of a, a festival of cricket. Never mind what was going on on the field. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've I've sort of come to it late in terms of
1: Caribbean tours, but I, I think it's, I think one of the really sad things that's been lost has been that. West Indian support there. I mean you see you know, I've been to Barbados where you just see English English support and you don't you don't get that that balance in the crowd. And I I think that going to the West Indies has lost something because you don't have that those Mm. fast bowlers roaring in anymore. And they're just, you know, fantastic sight. We were we were actually discussing before we started this podcast about, you know, what you'd actually prefer to see. Would you prefer to see spinners in operation or would you prefer to see fast bowlers, you know, s- And there bowling, was something snorting. tremendously yeah. exciting
0: about it, wasn't yeah. it? In a funny kind of way, the bouncer, it was, it was celebrated in the Caribbean mm. and it was feared in England. Yeah. And that was a very distinct sort of cultural difference between the two countries and the way they play cricket. You know, when you watched a bouncer in a Caribbean sort of state game inter-island game you know it was all oh, give him some like that yeah, you know and yeah. they loved it and batsman had a big waft and the ball flew through the keeper top edge or it was, a, it was a moment of excitement and sort of bravado and in England when someone bowled bounces West Indians came and bowled bounces in England it was this sort of feared and intimidatory thing and everyone was a bit nervous about it and obviously that's changed now because the helmets are much better and there aren't the same conveyor belt quick bowls in the West Indies either but it certainly sort of really emphasised the difference in the two cricketing cultures. Yeah, there. I suppose in a way it sort of began to turn for England in the Caribbean
1: in two thousand and four with with Steve Harmison you know, that amazing spell you talked about. Grievous, grievous bodily Harmison was the, the headline in the, in the newspaper the next day. Since then it's it's turned around. There, you know, there isn't that sort of. Dominance from West Indies fast bowlers.
0: Well, so Although, I, you know, they might. Well,
1: they've got, yeah, Shannon Gabriel, for example.
0: We'll talk about that next
1: week. Anyways, but send us send us the best innings. Send us examples of the best innings that you've ever seen.
0: We'll take a break, and after that, we'll talk to the new Lord's Groundsman. Right, now, before we talk to Carl McDermott, I'd just like to perhaps answer that riddle. Because it's. Are you not going to wait till next week, then? No, I'm not going to wait till next week, no. You know, people's. How do you keep an idiot in suspense? <laughs> I'll tell you next week. Uh, the thing is, it, it's it's a simple one, really. Now, the answer, I'll I'm, I'm, I'm remind you of the question again which batsman's left not out if all the players are out first ball? Yeah, it's one of those you can, if you sit down with a piece of paper,
1: you can work it yes. out. But actually, to work it out in your head and talk at the same time as I'm trying to do now is quite tricky. So I wouldn't. I would, you don't the, know. Well, hold on. The first six batsmen are going to be out at one end. Yeah. And then the bowling is going to go to the other end. So numbers 1, 3, Very good. Four, five, six, six. and 7 are going to be out. Yes, correct. Then the other opener is going to... It's number 8.
0: Very good. Is uh, it number 8? It is number the 8. The number 8, yeah. A lot of people will say number 7 or <laughs> number 9 or whatever. It's number 8 yeah. because yeah. the non-striker, when the opening pair go out, is number 2 yeah. and he hasn't faced a ball. Yeah. So as the first six wickets fall. So then he faces the first ball of the second over, and his partner is number eight, who's coming after number seven, mm. who was out at the end of the first over. Yeah. So number eight is the non-striker, when number two is out at the beginning of the second over, followed by numbers nine, ten, and eleven. Mm. And so number eight is left not out. Excellent. Thank you very much, anyway, to Danny for that question. Right, now we're going to talk to Carl McDermott, Interesting character, actually. Mick Hunt, of course, been the groundsman at Laws since the late 80s, and he in fact started at Laws. I remember in 1981, he was a a sort of ground staff apprentice then, so he has been there for 40-odd years, and lived in that house uh, by the nets for most of that time, so he's got to find somewhere else to live, poor old Mick, actually, which is not easy, it's like the old sort of clergyman or the vicar who has to move out of the... the the vicarage, and find somewhere else to live. So he's hunting around for a house, I think, at the moment, Mick, probably missing all that space out the back of his uh, back windows of lords and the nursery and everything. Carl comes from Ireland. Uh, It's a a very adventurous and interesting uh, appointment. Lovely guy. He was the groundsman at Clontarf in Dublin, where I've played and rudely described the Wicked about 20 years ago as... Like rolled wheat because it was all sort of a bit crusty and it had no substance to it at all. Anyway, he was the groundsman there in Clontarf for for some years. Then he moved to Worcester. Then he went down to a GS Bowl, Hampshire, Southampton, and he was there for seven years, three as head groundsman, and finally got the job at Lords. And uh, I, I was very interested to meet him because I've been so familiar with Mick Hunt for virtually all my life at Lords, and his sort of. Cockney way of looking at things, his terrible jokes, always wearing a pair of shorts, even in the worst weather, I'm just, actually he always wore these sort of deck shoes on the the outfield as well, which I never quite got, but anyway, you know, fantastic guy Mick finally he's been uh, um, succeeded by by Carl and so I thought I'd take Carl into the middle at Lords and experience with him his first sort of couple of days at the headquarters of cricket we're standing in the middle at Lords. It's now your terrain. How does it feel to be head groundsman <laughs> at Lords, the home of cricket? I, I sort of haven't had
2: the, the moment of realization yet. To be honest, I think that'll probably happen when the season kicks in. And the, I've sort of got quite quickly into the routine of walking out here and not really taking in the surroundings. So um, probably when the stadium's full. Uh, on the first morning of the World Cup or something like that I think I'll probably uh, have a few butterflies then and then the realisation of uh, everything that comes with it to be honest um, a lot of my friends have asked me "Oh, do you uh, do you believe it do you believe it no I don't believe it but it ha- sort of hasn't really sunk in yet so to speak um, so I'm but, you sure can,
0: but you're standing out here you're I know, looking Yeah, at, I know this is the pitch that they'll be probably playing the Ashes or the the World Cup yeah, final yeah. I mean look. I look. I look exciting it is I, but I look at the grass and
2: from a cricketing point of view more than the venue point of view so um, at the moment it's very exciting yeah very very exciting um, the Irish test will probably be one of the highlights for me I think this year
0: I mean that's an amazing isn't it the first year that you're the groundsman here your own countrymen playing their first ever test at Lord's
2: I've got a few messages saying the master plan is in place now so <laughs> you just need the Irish to win <laughs>
0: So there 's no collusion going on there with Carl and the Irish cricketers, although if they suddenly produce at Lord's for the the test match in, in July four day game uh, a pitch which sort of nibbles around a little bit and doesn 't bounce much i 'll be very suspicious anyway. Uh, what I then talked to Carl about is we went indoors because it was getting a bit windy, uh, and the first thing I asked him how much pressure does a groundsman feel it 's definitely
2: happening more and more. Um... In recent years, that um, a lot of comments from players, coaches, media, and all like that—you know—they seem to carry a lot of weight, even though there's not much um, behind it. It's—it's um, it's very easy for someone, a player, to walk by and just have a pop at me or a throwaway comment and things of like that. And then, it, you know, it does affect the guys. You know, groundsman put a lot into being here, long hours, uh, weekends. I'm always thinking about the job. I think all head groundsmen are. You're always at night time. You got something on your head thinking about the next game or a month's time or a particular match um, so, so any, any sort of little joy we get does affect us personally but it comes with the job you know, and I don't think we'd do it if, uh, if, we, if it
0: really did affect us to be but honest. actually traditionally groundsmen are quite grumpy yeah. but you're not actually. No,
2: no. I was a grumpy groundsman when I was younger really really grumpy um, Tarf, we, we had a real club rule no football on the ground was always the way and if I saw anyone with a football I'd just kick it over the fence into the gardens and, or burst it or something like that but then I had a few arguments and things like that and I got to a point where I said you know life's too short it's you know it plays on my mind it affects you it rolls into the next day and things of like that so um I've certainly chilled out a lot more but um that doesn't mean I'm a walkover to be
0: honest. Uh, <laughs> what about um repairing pitches and there's a lot of uh, stuff recently about like obviously in the Champions Trophy last year in the Cardiff game, England playing on a, a repaired pitch and a pitch which didn't kind of quite live up to what they were hoping. How quickly can you repair a pitch to make it playable for say, an international?
2: In an in an ideal world, I'd like sort of six to seven weeks between games. Um, you play on it, finish it, water it, reseed it, clean it out. Um, ideally longer obviously during something like the World Cup for example you haven't got that time um, with there being so much cricket here at Lords and other international venues sometimes it's tricky to have a fresh pitch for every game um, so at times you're sort of trying to manage what you're really been with, dealt with um, you're dictated to slightly by say what fixtures you have if you've got a couple of weeks between games you can turn a pitch back around it's not ideal to be honest um, What you probably want is games to be one or two days apart if you've got to use those pitches again. So you just hold on to it and play on it again.
0: How how does it compare? I mean, obviously, the the infrastructure and everything is very different, but Mm -hmm. what about the actual playing surface, the arena? How does that differ to the Aegeus Bowl?
2: Um, I think in terms of the square-wise and how it's built and things like that, there's not much difference. The outfield, obviously, is a higher spec than what we had at the Aegeus Bowl. You can just tell that even by just walking across it, how, how dry and firm it is. Um, so obviously you've got the slope as well, which um, I suppose if I have one concern, it's how, how to deal with the slope. Um, the guys are obviously I'm picking their brains a lot, the grounds team here, and they do say the water does run down the slope quite quickly when you're watering, so that'll be a challenge in itself. I didn't stand in the ground until I came here in December, my first day in the job really. And when I stood in the middle looking at the pavilion, do feel yourself sort of falling over a little bit, so it's significant... And I think, yeah, certainly in terms of how to deal with it, um, with watering and how to manage pitches and things like that because of the slope is going to be interesting. It seems obviously weather, weather paddings are changing quite quickly at the moment. When it rains, it really, really pours. And I think it looks like no matter what you do, it's going to run down as well. So it's a case even the guys in and out with the blotter going up and down, up and down just to stop them from getting under the sheets, even off the outfield and how well it drains. So... Um Have you noticed that weather patterns change definitely oh, definitely really, really quickly as well um definitely there's more rain it's heavier uh when it comes, it really really does come down. You don't get your light little trickles of rain anymore, which is quite nice overnight um and that's happened ten ten years, I think you know even in my sh- my career over in England, you can see it's happened quite quickly.
1: So that's the new Lords groundsman, Carl McDermott. There used to be a time when I started covering cricket, you just were not allowed on the Lords outfield. You know, it was like an amazing experience. You ever got to, to to walk on the outfield If you got to play there? What an incredible experience that, that must be. That was what I used to think when I used to start covering cricket in the late 80s. Of course, now everyone's on the on the ground before the start of play. There's
0: really almost more people on the ground than there are in the, in the stands at, say, half past ten in the morning. That's actually what he said it was one of his sort of slight irritations was that people like you and me out there for the toss <laughs> yeah. uh, getting in the way and treading on his precious grass. Uh, sort of like 50 or 60 people, yeah. why Why are they all there? I said to him, but we need to look at the pitch. Mm. Uh, I, we do all need to look at the pitch. I mean, we don't all need to look at the pitch at the toss, I suppose. But that's the time when it counts. If you look at the pitch two hours before, it's not going to look the same. So you want to see it when... Play is about to start. Really, to get a sense of of it, and so I I sort of understand his his complaint there, but there's not much I can do about it. Yeah, one one thing just to pick on one of one of the
1: things he said there in terms of, I said the World Cup and what happened in the Champions Trophy last time in England Wales in 2017. You know how quickly can you turn a pitch around? There was that you know not controversy, but that was that comment over England playing on that used pitch for a semi final in in Cardiff. And you say, what what did he say? Six to seven weeks between games is, is his preference for you know reusing the same surface. Uh, but he admits it's tricky to have a, a fresh pitch for every game. Uh, two weeks you can turn a, a pitch around, but he's saying it's not ideal. Um, but if you know you've got back to back games, you know, say two games in three or four days, you can make you essentially, I suppose, what he was trying to say is you can make a four day pitch and play you know the first one day match on the first day, and effectively, the the second one on what's effectively the fourth day of the pitch, you can sort of hold. What did he say? Hold on to it was, was the, you know. So I suppose you, what it means you prepare it for a, for a longer time, but I mean, ideally you don't want you want to play on fresh pitches the whole time, especially in the World Cup. And I'm sure England would want to play on fresh pitches all the time. Mm. When I say fresh pitches, I mean new pitches. I don't think they necessarily want to play on sporty pitches. They want to play on pitches that are good for their
0: their big biffers. Yeah, and and that means having having a bit of bounce. The, what I really liked about Carl was he he didn't seem grumpy at all, <laughs> and so many groundsmen, uh, including Mick Hunt, on on occasion they they just lose it. I mean, I, I don't want to name any more names, but most of the groundsmen around the circuit have got their grumpy side. It's a hard job, isn't it? And they well, just... talked about the pressure of it so I as mean, well. You you know you're under scrutiny, aren't you? Yeah, Your surface is definitely. under scrutiny from and, the, from and players, it's not an exact science, is it? Yeah. So it's a t- it is a tough job. I, I just remember actually the first groundsman I ever knew was at the Ealing Cricket Club grounds, where I played club cricket. And he he basically didn't want anyone on the field ever. No, and it was like that sign <laughs> "keep off the grass" was up permanently, you know, from January to December, even on a Saturday afternoon when you're supposed to be playing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I I used to sort of try and s- hide that stupid sign because he put it up even if there was a cloud in the sky. It was really irritating. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think it seems now as if grounds are a bit more relaxed, or perhaps they've just been forced to be a bit more relaxed about who who can go on the field. I mean, for example, yeah. I mean, you've got quick cricket being
0: played on the ground yeah. uh, during you know lunch intervals now. I you? mean, actually, the Lord's outfield, um, Carl said, look, you know, this place, this outfield is seriously good, yeah. and I, he showed me they're putting in some new drains at one end, and he, I looked at the the sand base of the, it's about a foot deep, the sand underneath the grass, which is why it drains so well. So it's gravel, then sand on top, and then grass on top of that. But in the sand, there's plastic sort of fibres mm. to hold it together as well. So it's sort of plastic and sand base with the grass on top. Really deep. I mean, like a foot deep of this sand, which is why, A, it it drains so well. He said, it actually, it's a bit dry yeah. at this time of year. But also, it does survive better... With things like quick cricket, brass band, idiots like me walking out to do demonstrations on it, it it it's sort of like it, it it's a better hard wearing surface. Yeah. So I guess they don't have to worry so much. Well, the
1: transformation in the Lord's outfield is remarkable. I and mean, then in your day, when you were playing, if it rained for a you know half a day,
0: that's it. You had you probably had the championship match off, didn't I, I, you? I, my first game for Middlesex, it started on a Saturday. It rained in the morning. There was a lake on the outfield, and we didn't play till Monday. Yeah. So I never got to play my debut for two days until the Monday when it had dried out a bit more, and even then it was a quagmire.
1: And there was a, a test match against Pakistan that England played after they put the new drainage in, yeah. where there was an amazing thunderstorm, and there was a lake on the ground, actually it's down the road from my home, we're speaking now, there, was a, there were huge floods. At Lords, they played an hour later, didn't they? Three quarters of an hour, an hour later. And in, in your day, they wouldn't have played for a couple of weeks, probably. And we were quite glad, actually, because we
0: could <laughs> put our feet up. Uh, See, this is... This is this we could watch videos and, This is you know, terrible for people who... Play if, bridge.
1: ...who have not played professional cricket. People who are great supporters of cricket, love cricket, love to go and watch. They cannot believe that, actually, cricketers... Just don't really like playing. Well,
0: I think the thing is they do, but not <laughs> Not 20, very often. Not not twenty eight days out of thirty one, which is what it could be. Yeah, no, I, and that you when it was August and it was twenty eight days out of thirty one, you just dreamt yeah. of a day of rain where you could play last card and take Mike Gatting's money. Yeah. How often did you manage to do that then? Um, well he never had any money. Uh, he was one of those people who actually never had mysteriously never had any right, cash. Yeah. So you go, Oh yeah, I'll pay you tomorrow. So No, never won any money off him. Right, okay, big year ahead, Uh, Yoz. And
1: England will be starting their test series against West Indies uh, next week. And next week we'll look ahead to that and we'll also talk about your greatest, not yours, but our listeners' greatest innings of all time. Look forward to it. Speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.